0: Heavenly Father, we thank you that you um, have uh, revealed yourself to us in your Son, Jesus. Uh, we thank you that uh, you have not remained silent, but you speak to us through your Word. And Lord, we pray now as we open it up that we might hear you speak, we might hear your voice. We pray that your Spirit will work in our hearts, that we might glorify you with the things that you have blessed us with. And we pray that, we, um, yeah, that you might uh, change us and shape us by your Word tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to begin uh, with a story. Uh, There's three blokes and they're on a church camp. The church camp is kind of on the coast near a beach and and in that kind of downtime in the afternoon of church camp, uh, they decide to take a walk along the beach. And as they're walking along the beach, they stumble across a treasure chest uh, that some seems to have washed up on the beach. How They crack it open and this treasure chest is bursting with gold and jewels and money. Uh, It's a fortune. And they they quickly work out that if they split this three ways, none of them will have to work another day in their lives. And so they kind of sit down around the treasure chest and they start uh, counting the money that's in there and their conscience kicks in. Uh, They're on a church camp, remember, and so they go, oh, yeah, we probably should give some of this to God. Uh, And so they kind of start talking about how do you work out how much you give to God? And the first bloke suggests a way. Okay, what we could do is he said we should... Draw a circle in the sand, and we could take all the money in the treasure, and we could throw it up in the air, and whatever lands inside the circle, we'll give that to God, and we'll keep what lands outside. And the second man says, "No, no, no, we'll, we'll draw a circle on the ground. And whatever lands lands outside the circle, we'll give that to God, and we'll keep what lands on the inside." At this point, the third man, kind of with a wry smile on his face, says, "No, no, no, you've got it all wrong. We'll draw a circle on the ground, and we'll throw all the money and all the treasure and all the gold up in the air, and whatever God wants." he keeps. Some of you haven't quite got that. That's all right. You'll work it out later. Um, Now, sorry if you've heard that joke before, but there's something in that joke uh, about how Christians come to think about money and possessions and, and how much we struggle to work out how to glorify God with the things that God has given us. You see, the money in your wallet, whose is it? Who does it belong to? The money in your bank account what is it for what is its purpose the money you choose to spend to save to give how do you work out how much how do you work out what to spend it on what to save it for or who to give it to i see it's sitting on a hill here we're committed to glorifying god in every area of our life uh, including this area now last week i took my uh, kids to see the new lion king movie I'm old enough to remember going to the movies to see the first Lion King movie. It was one of the first movies I ever saw at the cinema. Um, The old version and the new version, they're really similar. And there's this scene in the first... uh, There's a scene that's in both the versions where Simba, as just a little uh, uh, lion cub, is taken up uh, with his dad, Mufasa, and they, they stand there and they inspect the whole kingdom. And Mufasa says to Simba, Simba, everything the light touches is our kingdom. Likewise with God. Every aspect of our life is part of his kingdom. Every aspect of our life, God rules over over it. So every area and aspect of our life, we want to make sure that we're using it to glorify God, to honour him, to make him known. And generally when it comes to money, we struggle to glorify God in this area. We struggle even to work out, to know what it looks like to glorify God, to honour God with our wallets, with our bank accounts, with our stuff. I think we struggle to work this out because of two things. I think there's 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 two competing uh, voices and opinions when it comes to Christians and money uh, that are loud and they're confusing. Uh, on one spectrum, there's people who have an overly positive view of money. Uh, one pastor of a church in the same suburb that I grew up in, he wrote a book, and the book was titled "You Need More Money." Uh, And in the book he promised that if you, he promised this in the book, he said, if you look beyond yourself, if you live according to the principles of God and see his blessing on your life, you will become a money magnet, Uh, an overly positive view of money. And there's plenty of books and there's plenty of churches that will teach us pretty much the same thing. We're told that it's God's will to make us rich. We just simply need to have enough faith to believe in God's abundant financial plan for our lives. And we're told to sow a seed, usually by giving them money, uh, sow a seed so that we might reap an abundant financial blessing from God. We're told to name it and claim it. We're told to speak out our financial dreams in order to take hold of them. And we're told that wealth and money and possessions and having lots of it, it's a sign of God's blessing. It's a sign of God's blessing for the faithful person. And so, in a sense, our bank accounts or the size of our house, they could be something of a barometer of our spirituality, of our faithfulness. This overly positive view about money, is that right? Is that what the Bible teaches? That's one end of the spectrum. But there's another end of the spectrum, an overly negative view of money and possessions. And down this end of the spectrum, some people will say that the idea of a wealthy Christian, well, that's an oxymoron, a contradiction in terms. They say that Christians should be poor, after all, that's how Jesus lived. And so you have people like St. Francis of Assisi who once prayed, uh, he prayed this, he said, grant me, the treasures, treasure, grant me the treasure of sublime poverty, permit the distinctive sign of our order to be that it does not possess anything of its own beneath the sun, for the glory of your name, and that it, it have no other patrimony, which is kind of an inheritance, it has no other inheritance than begging you see Francis and his fellow monks and many other Christians over the centuries they they had the view of money that it contaminates our relationship with God and the only way that we can truly know God and the only way we can be really in relationship with God and the only way that we can gain salvation is to rid ourselves of all our money and all our possessions it was as though though poverty was the path to eternity and so they treat money as if it's an evil in and of itself It's corrupting, it's deceiving, it's dangerous. But is that right? Is that overly negative view of money right? Are either of them right? How do we glorify God with our money and our possessions? Is it by seeking riches or is it by embracing poverty or is it something else altogether? Well, what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to build up this picture. We're going to spend four weeks working our way through the Bible to answer the question how do we glorify God with our money and our possessions? Uh, and it's really important for us to put the time into this for a number of reasons. And it's really important for us to put the time into this because this is something that God actually cares deeply about. This actually matters to God. He, he actually cares about what we do with the things that he has given us. You see, the Bible has a lot to say about money and possessions. Jesus actually Jesus warns people about greed more than he does about sexual morality or anything else, really. It's important to God and it should be important to us too. The second reason why we need to have a good look at this is because it's a massive blind spot for many of us. I mean, almost none of us think that greed is our problem. Uh, an old pastor once told me that when he, uh, on his retirement, he said that people had come to him and confessed almost every sin under the sun. They'd come to their pastor and people had confessed lust and adultery and theft and violence and pride. Some people had, it's like he had one time where someone even confessed to a murder, But in his whole ministry, spanning many decades, no one had ever come to him and confessed their greed. No one had ever come and said that they struggled to be generous with the things that God has given them. See, greed is something that hides itself from the victim. And the reason it hides itself is because uh, what we do with our money can seem so relative. You know, the problem is that there's, there's always someone who's richer than you are. And so greed is their problem, not your problem. There's always something else that you kind of feel like you need. There's always a little bit more money that you could have and then your life would be that much more secure. And it's also incremental and incidental and it's also relative. And so we don't realise when we are actually gripped by greed. We could be in the grip of greed and we can't see it. And given greed can be so hidden and given how much God warns us against it, we probably should begin with the hypothesis that this could be a problem for me. We probably all need to start with that hypothesis. This could be a problem for me. So, uh, given we generally struggle in this area, given uh, there's two very vocal ends of the spectrum, given that God has a lot to say from it in the Bible, and given we often don't think it's our problem, it's going to take us some time to 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 answer this question. How do we glorify God with our money and our possessions? And so we're going to spend four weeks to build up the picture, and it's kind of like building a house. Houses are important, you don't, you don't want to live in a house that took two days to build, particularly here in Wellington, you, with earthquakes and wind, you want to live in a house that is well built. If it's going to last, it needs to be built properly, it needs foundations, it needs walls, it needs all sorts of things that take time. And so to answer this question, it's going to take us some time if we want to answer it properly. Uh, and this is the absolute last thing I want to say before we dive into the uh, Genesis chapter 1 Uh 1. I promise next week we'll get to the Bible much quicker than this. But this is the last thing I have to say, and I have to say this really clearly, and I need you to all kind of all eyes to me to understand. Uh, the point of this series is not to increase the giving here at Night Church or at City on Hill. That is not the point. I want to be really clear. If at the end of this series or at the end of this talk you feel the, the pangs of guilt and you think the solution to your guilt is to give more money to church, then I, then I have failed. That is a fail. That is not the point of what we're doing. Uh, the point is not to make you feel guilty so that you give more. Uh, just to be upfront, our church is not in financial trouble. Uh, this is not the response to a financial need. Next week, I'm not going to wheel out a new building project that I want you to all give your hard-earned money to or to, there's a big hole in our budget that we need to meet. That is not going on here. We're doing this because we want to work out as a church how we can glorify God, how we can honour God, how we can make God known with the money and possessions that he has given us. And it can only come from a heart that is motivated by joy and delight in God and thankfulness for his grace to us, not from guilt. It can only come from a heart that is content, content with the riches that we have in Christ and free from the constant desire for more and more and more. All right, so let's jump into Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start Genesis chapter one because this is the place to, to start when we start laying foundations about how we should think and act with our money and our possessions. Now, if you've been here this year, you will uh, remember that we uh, didn't. We looked at this passage in much more detail, uh, kind of a couple of months ago. Uh, but so much of understanding God's world is anchored in these texts in Genesis chapter one. See, Genesis chapter one. It is the beginning of everything. It is the beginning of all that is created. It is the beginning of God's dealing with humanity. It is the beginning of God's story of salvation, of the the redemption that stretches from creation through to new creation. And so as we look at Genesis chapter 1, the first thing that we see is that everything that happens here, it begins with God's divine initiative. Uh, Now, it's not my favourite movie, uh, but The Sound of of Music, people know that movie? People know it? You know, there's a song in The Sound of Music when you begin. So when you read, you begin with ABC. When you sing, you begin with... There we go. Do re me. Yep. I don't love it. But anyway, um, <laughs> when we start to think about things from the Bible, we begin with, in the beginning, God created. That is where we begin. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Take a look. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, that's where it all begins. It begins with God's divine initiative, God does it. And what is created? Well, he says, it says there that God created the heavens and the earth. That's a way of saying that God created everything. And so when there was nothing but God, He alone takes the initiative. And out of nothing, God creates everything. And He speaks it into being. And we saw that as we worked our way through Genesis chapter 1, we saw that nothing happens, nothing is created without God's divine initiative. And we see this more closely when we look at the verbs. Now, when I went to high school, sorry, when I went to primary school, there was some clever person in the Ministry of Education who thought it'd be a great idea to teach to, to not teach the children grammar. And so I never learned about verbs and nouns and adjectives. I only learned those when I went to Bible college and learned Greek and I had to learn grammar that way. Uh, but if you did learn grammar at school, you'll know verbs. that They're doing words. And if you look at Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that God is the subject the doer of all the major verbs, of all the doing words. God is the one who is doing all the creating. He is the one making it all happen. Take a look at verse 1. God created. Verse 3, God said. Verse 4, God saw. Verse 5, God called. And then we see God making and setting and giving and blessing. God is the one creating everything. God is doing all the work by his divine initiative. You see this world that we live in, everything that we can see, the sun, the moon and the stars, they are not some kind of prefab kit home that God kind of got and assembled from kind of other things that were lying around. God's not inspired by the latest thing that he saw in the block and so he's going to go out and do the, this, this makeover. God's not fashioning the world and everything in it out of other stuff that was just lying around. No, it all begins by God's divine initiative. God does it all. And the next thing we notice here in Genesis chapter 1 is we notice how he does it. And how does he do it? Well, he does it by purposefully bringing order to everything. It's all purposely ordered. In verse 2, we see there's a world that is formless and empty and dark and watery. And in the rest of the chapter, we see God taking that which he has made and giving it form. He begins by creating the spheres. He creates light by separating it from the dark. And then he creates the and separates the sky from the sea and then he creates the land and separates the land from the sea and then all along the way he is creating these spheres he's he's ordering his creation and then he goes and he fills those empty spheres he fills them with creatures and with objects appropriate for that sphere and so the sun and the moon and the stars fill the heavens and birds fill the sky and fish fill the sea and the animals of mankind fill the land and so what began from nothing what was then empty is now beautifully and purposefully arranged by God. He gives order to his world. And when we realise this, we realise that our world is not simply slime plus time. We are not like kind of the, um, the lucky winners of some cosmic accident. No, we live in a purposely ordered world. A purposely ordered world by a creative God who made it all. And the next thing we see is that it is all good. God's creation is all good. You probably noticed the repetition as uh, Nicole read the passage for us. The same phrases keep cycling through. Uh, you, you can, if you take a look at verse 3, you can see the pattern there. In verse 3, it begins with God said, and then it goes, Let there be, and, and, there, it's, and it was, and then God saw, and then it was good, and then evening and morning, the first day. And that pattern repeats over and over and over again. But what I want to point, you, point our attention to is those two phrases, God saw... And it was good. Uh, A few years ago, uh, there was this massive billboard in the city that I lived in, and the billboard just had this massive glass of beer on it, Uh, and on uh, it had this big glass of beer, and all around the beer were arrows pointing to the beer, and each of the arrows was pointing and saying "good," like "good" and "good" and "good" all around the beer, and then the tagline at the bottom of the billboard was "Tui's new, it's all good." Now, if you know anything about that particular beer, you know that's an abs- outright lie. Too is new, is rubbish. rubbish. Um, but I wonder if the person who came up with that ad had been reading Genesis chapter 1. Because as God th- goes through the days of his creation, we see repeated over and over again, and God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And then we get to the climax in verse 31. Uh, take a look at me, look with me there. Verse 31, and God saw all that he had made and it was very good it was very good it's all good god's creation is just the way he intended it to be it conforms perfectly to his will everything he has made is he made is suited for its purpose the purpose for which he made it there were no mistakes there were no accidents there's nothing is out of place nothing doesn't fit in it is all good and it's not just all good in the, in the eyes of some kind of beer drinking ad executive. It's, it, it's good in the eyes of the eternal creator, the eternal God who made it all. It is the ultimate affirmation of its goodness. God declares the world that he has made and everything in it, he declares that it is good. The final thing to notice here in Genesis chapter 1 is notice the pinnacle of creation. The pinnacle of creation, it is humanity. Now, humanity stands out as the peak for a few reasons. Firstly, the creation of humanity comes last in the chapter, and just kind of like any half-decent fireworks display keeps kind of the biggest and best thing till last. So God saved humanity to the end. Uh, But most importantly, humanity alone is created in the image and likeness of God. Humanity alone is created in the image and likeness of God. Verse 27. Take a look, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Of all the things created in the heavens and the earth, of all the things including the sun and the moon and the stars, the only thing to be created in God's image is humanity. And along with that, uh, that, that privilege of being the pinnacle of all that God has made uh, comes the responsibility of, of ruling the rest of creation as we see in verse 26. Verse 26 says this, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You see, being created in God's image uh, gives us a particular role in this world. Now, being created in God's image, that, that, like, there's like truckloads of meaning behind that. Uh, we could spend, you know, forever talking about what it means to be created in God's image. But in particular here, what I want us to see is it means that humans rule the world under God. It means that they are his vice regents. We We rule his creation, representing him to the world around us. You see, God is the loving ruler of the world, and he made us to rule his world under him, to rule his world in right relationship with him. We're to exercise his rule and his reign in the creation that he has entrusted to us. So quick recap, what have we seen? We've seen that God created everything through his divine initiative. We've seen that the world is purposely ordered and, provi- and, and is a perfect, sorry, we see the world is a purposely ordered provision of God. And we see that it's all good. It all conforms to God's will. And we've seen that humanity is the pinnacle we have a special role under God to rule the world under him, to be his image bearers in the world that he has made. But what does any of that have to do with money and possessions? Because really, honestly, Genesis chapter one, it, it doesn't mention money at all, it doesn't mention any possessions. Kind of the first humans aren't there kind of kind of wondering where to put their wallets, because they don't have pockets yet. Um They're not there considering what what to do, whether what to spend or buy, or give, or save. But even though that's the case, we'll never begin to understand how to honour and glorify God with our money and possessions until we understand this passage. Because the first thing that Genesis 1 screams loud and clear to us, it screams loud and clear, is that it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. All of creation, everything that has been made, including our money, including our possessions, including us, it was all created by him. It was all created for him and it all belongs to him. Uh, in, Psalm, uh, 20, in Psalm 24, we read this. Uh, it's up here on the screen. It says this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. You see, what it's saying there is everything belongs to God because God made everything. It's true of the birds in the air, it's true of the fish in the sea and the sun and the moon and the stars and it's true of the cash in my wallet, it's true of the clothes in my wardrobe, it's true of the car that I drive and the house that I live in and the money in the bank. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. But do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? I, I, know, I know some of you know that intellectually. You've been reading your Bible for a while. You've been to church for a while. You've you know, been to community group for a while. You intellectually know that. But do you really believe it? Do you really believe that everything you have actually belongs to God? Do you really believe that your money and possessions, they belong to God, not to you? Because God says they belong to him. And we get God's perspective on this in Psalm 50. In Psalm 50, it's amazing. This is what God says. He says, I have no need of of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens, for every animal in the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all that is in it. The world and everything in it belongs to God. It all belongs to His. It's all His anyway. And yet, as God's image bearers in the world, God graciously entrusts His creation to us. He shares His creation with us. He shares with us in the form of money and possessions. They are entrusted to us from God. God. God graciously entrusts this to humanity. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It was all graciously gifted to us from God's hand. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we read that everything that God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And this is true of money and possessions. It is good. It's part of God's good creation. Money is not evil in and of itself. It is part of the good world that God has made. And it's, to, it's good and it's to be enjoyed and it's to be used in relationship with God. Everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected It is if it is received with thanksgiving. If it is received and enjoyed in relationship with the God who made us, with the God who made it. You see, even though we might possess it in our hot little hands for a while, money and possessions, they don't belong to us. They're not ours. God has entrusted them. To us, now, he provides it for us, but it still belongs to him. And because it still belongs to him, it means that God really does care about what we do with it. God really does care about what we do with the money and possessions he has entrusted to us. Uh, I have, I like riding my bike. Um, tomorrow, my kids will go off to school. It's my day off. I'll go ride my bike for a long time, and I'll have a great time. I really like, like riding my bike, which means that I have the best neighbor in the world, because he works at a bike shop. His name is Mike. He's a really great guy. Um, uh, and Mike's a really generous guy. A few years back, he bought his wife a new bike. You know, he, he, he loves bikes, so how does someone who loves bikes express love for someone else? They buy them a bike, um, but she likes bikes too, so that's okay. Um, she got this brand new mountain bike, a few thousand bucks worth. But shortly after she got the bike, she got an injury which meant that she couldn't ride it. And so rather than having this beautiful bike sitting in their garage gathering dust, they lent it to a friend and were like, go and enjoy this bike. Uh, and Use it. Enjoy it. It's meant to be ridden. But the problem was was when the friend returned the bike a few months later, it had been trashed. They'd ridden it through sand and through salty water at the beach and they didn't wash it, they didn't clean it, they didn't degreased the train they didn't kind of put lube on it again and essentially the bike was ruined and they were gutted here they'd entrusted this precious possession to their friend to enjoy and they'd trashed it god cares about what we do with his stuff it's given to us so that we can bear God's image to the world, so we can use the things that God has given us to rule the world in right relationship with him. And when we realise it belongs to him, it's got to change how we think about what we do with our money and our possessions. If God has graciously entrusted it to us, surely that's going to make us humble. If God has graciously entrusted it to us, surely we ought to be careful and deliberate and wise with what he's given us, not careless. If God cares about what we do with the things He has given us, then surely we ought to listen to his word, follow his lead and, and how we use and spend and give the money that he has entrusted to us. And not just follow the, the, the dreams and hopes of the world around us or the, the things that catch our eye or the things that make our heart flutter, but listen to what God has to say about how we should use it. Because Genesis chapter 1 teaches us that our money, it is God's. It has come from his hand as a good and gracious gift. And he has given it to us so that we might bear his image in the world. So we need to be thankful. And we need to be humble. And we need to be careful and wise as we use it, as we live as God's image bearers in the world. And the last thing I want to point out from Genesis chapter 1 is Uh, Our money and our possessions, they are part of the created world, which means that they are not God. It might seem obvious they're not God, but they're they're not to be worshipped. Now Genesis chapter 1 is super clear that God alone is the creator. God alone is the one who made everything, everything you can see and touch and taste and smell and hear. God created it all, which means that God alone is to be worshipped. When when Paul is looking for categories to explain how depraved and how corrupt we are as humanity in Romans chapter 1, what he says is he says that we have worshipped created things rather than the Creator. You see, there is no greater offence to God than to bow down and worship something which He has made instead of worshipping Him, the God who made it. And the Bible has a special word for this sort of worship of created things. It's called idolatry. It's called idolatry. We live in a world where money is the idol. We live in a world where money and possessions are served and worshipped as gods. We live in a world where people daily sacrifice their time and their energy and their relationships in devotion to this God of money and wealth and possessions. But as people here who know the creator, who know the God who made it, then we no longer worship created things, but we worship the God who has graciously entrusted this world to us. This world and the things in it, it is good, but it is not God. Right, so what does all this mean for us today? Well, I think the response that we ought to have might be different for different different of us here. Some of us might need to respond to God's word tonight by repenting, by turning back to God and asking for forgiveness because maybe we've realised tonight that we've been putting our trust in created things. We've been worshipping goods as God's. We might need to repent of our love of money and possessions more than that we love those things more than we love the God who made us. Some of us will need to repent and turn back to God. One thing that all of us will need to do is we all need to stop and give thanks. We need to give thanks to the God who has graciously given us every good thing. And some of us will need to take a reality check. Maybe tonight has been eye-opening for you to realise that everything you have actually belongs to God. The money in your pocket, the place that you live, the car that you drive, the clothes on your back, even the oxygen of the next breath that you take, it all belongs to God. And so whatever we own or earn, we have it, not because we deserve it, but because God graciously entrusts it to us as the Creator God. And so he cares how we use it. He cares how we use it. He cares. He doesn't want us to worship it. He doesn't want us to serve it. He doesn't want it to be our ultimate goal. He doesn't want it to be wasted. But he wants us to use it for his sake and for his glory as we live as his people in his world. And to do that, we're going to need his help. So why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the creator God. You are the God who has made the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, and everything in the earth. And Lord, we pray that as we uh, look to you, uh, that we might respond in thanks, that you have graciously given us every good thing. And Lord, thank you for reminding us that you are the creator, the one who made everything, and everything belongs to you. And Lord, we repent. We are sorry for worshipping created things, for worshipping money, for desiring possessions over our desire for you. And Lord, please help us. Move in us by your Spirit so that we might use the things that you have given us for your sake and for your glory and for the good of your kingdom. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.